podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. Well, a very good evening to you indeed and welcome to the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. Uh, very pleased, very glad to have you company this evening. We're on at 7 until 8.30 and then we'll have a little switch over and we'll talk about your upcoming opponents at Fulham because they're on the show afterwards, 8.30 until 10pm. But let's talk about West Ham, let's focus on them. We've got James Jones from West Ham World, we've got Will Pugh from Balls on the Line and we've got a, a guest this evening. Um, first time with... Jack Rosser for myself. I know you've been in before, haven't you, Jack? I have. So, nice to have you back and good to meet you. Um, so, yeah, where, where do we start, chaps? Because we've had no we've had no football to talk about from the weekend, have we? It feels a bit, a bit strange. Boring weekend. Yeah. We've still got to do an hour and a half, though, so... Yeah, I mean, there's plenty <laughs> so to talk we, about. So, what can we talk about? I mean, first of all, I'd like to say that I watched the, the draw for the FA Cup on Monday night. Yep. And it made me really angry that we lost to Wimbledon. Because mm. the teams that are still in that, mm. we, we could have won the FA Cup. We could have done. Well, I mean, we probably wouldn't have done because we would have drawn Man City away or something like that. Because that's what West—that's what happens at West Ham. But it would be nice to be there. A couple of teams are going to be at Wembley. I know you, know you can argue whether it's semi-final or not, whether it's right or wrong. But you know, the draw proper opened up, didn't it? You've got Manchester United and Man City, and after that, it's anyone's game. Yeah, it, it, it angers me. It, it really upsets me. Well, it's always next year, isn't there? Yeah, we said that yeah. Yeah. last year. Every, <laughs> every year for the entire, my entire life. Yeah, and then every single Premier League will proceed to do the exact same thing as they did last year. Yeah. Play a weakened side, stay up in the Premier League and get knocked out of the fourth round. But hey-ho, we never learn, do we? Um, Mark Noble, let's have a chat about him. Various things I, I want to discuss. Um, first up, actually, we won't talk about it now, but I'll throw it out to people listening. Um, Mark Noble obviously never played for England, or has never played for England. There is still time. I mean, it's unlikely now. But... Is he, in the Premier League era, the best player at his peak or, or now or just whenever not to have played for England, not to have got himself a cap? A couple of other names, notable mentions who never got one again. Former West Ham player Kevin Nolan uh, at his peak, particularly at Bolton and, and Newcastle, I think should have perhaps got a couple of call-ups. Mark Albright in a Premier League win with Leicester. He's been in the Premier League for his entire career. Again, wouldn't have ever been a, a first name on the team sheet kind of guy, but there have been worse players who've got caps. And then I threw this one out there. Um, Brian and James, um, Drive Time Show, massively disagreed with me. But Stephen Taylor, uh, he was former Newcastle captain, was a very, very good player for them for, for a number of years, played well over 200 games in the Premier League. And again, if you play that much, that regularly, and you captain Premier League side, you probably can count yourself a little bit unfortunate not to have played for your national side. So there we are. Mark Noble, Kevin Nolan, Mark Albrighton and Stephen Taylor. Can anyone think of a better player in the Premier League era not to have played for England? Please send in your suggestions on Twitter at Love Sport Radio or if you want to give us a ring, 0208 70 But before we go on and have that chat with you chaps in the studio, 
Let's talk about Mark Noble as a West Ham player. Where does he rank for you guys? Not necessarily like Premier League, like I've just thrown out there, but just in general, because he's been there his entire career and he's been a loyal, loyal servant, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's living he's living the dream of every single West Ham fan in the world, isn't he? Uh, grew up in, just around the corner from Upton Park, captains, captains of the club, over 400 appearances for the club, over 50 goals. He, I mean, he is a legend. Uh, a lot of fans are, aren't too keen on him, you know, and, and we'll probably get onto that in a little bit. But, mm. you know, for me, he's a legend. And, no, I think it's an absolute disgrace that he's not even had a call-up for England, let alone a cap. He's yeah. not even had a call-up. And this is a player that's been around for 14 years uh, in the Premier League. OK, he's dropped down the Premier League once or twice. I can see Jack smirking at me a little bit. He's going to have his say. But, um, <laughs> I just think that, you know... You know Unfortunately for him, he, he came through and he probably hit his peak at a time where players were only called up for England because of the club that they played for. Mm. If you didn't play for a top six club, you got no chance, unless you were 35 and it was a token call-up. Um, other than that, you know, unless you played for a top six club, you had no chance. And Mark mm. Noble, unfortunately, fell into that bracket and I think he probably deserved the call-up at some point. Mm. Go on, Jack. I, he's a fantastic player. This season, he's been very important at different times. There have been a few games over there's the last a couple coming, of years. Isn't there? There's a butt coming. There, there's a, there is a butt coming. I'm really not that fussed about the England call-up. I think he's a great player. He's a fantastic columnist as well in the, in the Evening Standard <laughs> every Friday. Um, no, cheeky. But I'm, you know, he's came through at a time. You're right when the club you played for did matter at international level, but also at a time where England had a really strong calibre of midfielders and. Yes, he's gone on a bit longer than Lampard and Gerrard in terms of his his, his playing career, and, and he's still going in the Premier League and and to a good standard. You look you look at a couple of the big games that that West Ham have done well in this season. Liverpool being the most recent one, he was outstanding against Liverpool. They were all to to a man played really well, but he put in a fantastic performance and offers that level of experience and knows how to dictate a game. But England wise, I I don't think there's a lot he he could have offered that that successive England managers didn't already have I think if he got a cap it wouldn't you know it would have been nice it may, maybe he is the, of the standard that deserves you know a nod of recognition a cap but it wouldn't have gone too much further than that mm. for me I, I completely agree because it's, it's only when you flip it on its head and look at the players in who have got caps for England that's when it becomes a bit frustrating I was, yeah. for, for something else I was doing the other day I was looking into uh, players who'd got caps under in Sven's reign. Yeah, I think it was Anthony Gardner. Uh, <laughs> Ian Walker got one at, at some point in there as well, and there was there was a few players in there where, when you look at it from, you, you're just looking and going, "That's ridiculous! How did he get a nod? How did he mm. get a nod?" And there's been plenty of players like that, but I do agree with Jack. I don't think even if he had got one, maybe two. That he would, it wouldn't have been a sustained impact that yeah. he had on that squad because he didn't really have much else to offer but to, outside but take, of what the current squad already had. Let's take it away from England for a second, just in terms of West Ham. Then, so you know, on the West Ham official Twitter account today, um, they, they posted kind of a, a bit of a tribute to him. Was it thirteen consecutive seasons he, so he scored it, in uh, they, it, it with a montage of his, own, his goals last week? Okay, yeah, they, they put a video up of um, he, he's now scored in thirteen consecutive seasons for the club. And uh, so they put up a, a, a little video to honour that with his first goal of every 13 yeah. of those previous 13 seasons. Nice I think touch. that's. I think, I mean, for someone like Mark Noble, who, is, who embodies everything that West Ham's about, um, I think it, it's a great achievement for him. 
personally, and I think it's nice for us to have had a player like Martin Noble to come through the academy and then stick with the club for so long mm. uh, and achieve what what he has achieved. I mean, okay, he's not won a trophy with us. That, actually, that's not true. He did win the player final with us it's in, not a in 2012. It is a trophy. And the Betway Cup a couple of times. He's won the Betway yeah. Cup a couple of times. Um, <laughs> And a couple of Hammer of Year awards as well, I'm pretty, yeah. I'm pretty sure. So, I mean, he has honours. He has honours. And, uh, no, I just think, you know, and I think the club are right to, to say, you know, it's 13 consecutive seasons. Um, so, I mean, fair play to him. Have you got the, some of the replies there yes. in front of you? Because, again, I think it's I think it's important to, if people aren't aware of this, because this is kind of one of the main reasons we're having this, this debate today, because the, the amount of negative comments... Now, I know that kind of Twitter is the platform where, where people do that anyway, you know, so I wouldn't necessarily read too much into it. But I, I was very, very shocked indeed when we, we basically had this conversation that we were going to have a discussion about whether Mark Noble was a West Ham legend or not, because for, for me, I, I don't think there's any question whatsoever, but these tweets kind of suggest there are people who, who don't see it that way. Yeah, I mean, there's some absolute gold here. Um, Come on then. <laughs> but my, my favourite one is from... Um, there's no swears, are there? No, no, and if there are, I'll cut them out. We'll, we'll, you point and we'll beep. <laughs> just have practice you you say a horrible word and will beeps uh, there isn't actually there isn't there isn't the first one Curdy de Don I don't, I don't know if that's his real name or not but says no wonder we never won nothing for 13 consecutive seasons Mark the Snail Noble um, bit weird yeah uh, Disgrace to even put that up. The word useless is about right from wow. Stephen King yeah, yeah. just so unnecessary Andrew Evans give me strength I mean, he's, he's not that bad, is he? He's not that no. bad. No. Th- this one was quite funny. Uh, Jan Leo, what next? Are you going to tweet all our goalkeepers over the last 13 years that have made a save? <laughs> Although this one from Aaron Goldstein is good. Yeah. Haters will say Mark Noble only scores penalties. But where do you think Cristiano Ronaldo learned his technique from? Not Mark Noble. I'll just put it out there now. Not Mark Noble. <laughs> um, Can you, how, are you sure? I'll ask him, but I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know. I'll give him a text. I mean, unless you can completely verify that, we can throw out there, there are reports that Cristiano learned to take penalties from Mark Noble. Mm. Yeah, know? I mean... <laughs> it's clear to see from the technique, can't you? don't you think? No, no, I, th- I think it's very apparent. And then West Ham fans, again, what, what do you think? Did Cristiano Ronaldo learn to take penalties from Mark Noble? I'm going to take a break when we come back. I'm going to speak to Baz Cox, a regular West Ham fan, on the West Ham Fan Show, get his views on Mark Noble. This programme was previously broadcast live on Love Sport Radio, so some items may be out of date. For more podcasts or to listen live, visit lovesportradio.com. Okay then, welcome back. West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. Please keep your tweets coming in. Mark Noble, is he a West Ham legend? And also, the other question I've got for you, name us a better player from the Premier League era who has not got themselves an England cap. At Love Sport Radio is the Twitter handle. We've got James Jones, we've got Will Pugh and Jack Rosser in the studio. We've got Baz Cox on the phone. Baz, good evening. Good evening, how are you doing? Yeah, very, very well indeed. So look, we've just been reading off some of these replies to, to the tweet from, from West Ham and the post about Mark Noble. Where do you sit with it? Were you one of these people uh, slagging him off? 
No, you're mad, and you? you don't look at my Twitter account. Do you? <laughs> Mark Noble's a hero to me. Uh, I, I knew that really bad. If, if it weren't for Mark Noble, you wouldn't know who I was. That was me, his testimonial singing. Mark Noble's just been a fantastic servant to the football club. Um, I personally can't speak highly enough of him. But fo- fo- sure. footballing ability, was he good enough to play for England? Um, at certain times, I think, unfortunately, he had the likes of Gerard and Lampard as well, which, if you're honest, they're not people that he's going to get in front of. Our last season at Upton Park, I certainly feel that year he was good enough. When you've got people like Danny Drinkwater in the frame, I thought he was head and shoulders above him. And if Leicester hadn't won the league and finished third or fourth, I don't think people would have spoke about Danny Drinkwater. And Mark Noble got ignored that year. I know he went and then got bombed out. Um, but a, a regular England international, no. Did he deserve at least a few caps? Yes. Yeah, when you throw in the likes of Jimmy Bullard and Joe Barton getting England caps, I think Mark should have got at least a couple. But why do you think it is then, Baz, that these tweets existed from West Ham fans? Why don't they, why don't they love him as much as you do? I think because he's, he's an easy target for West Ham, in my opinion. If something's wrong, you pick on him. You know, even to the start of this season and changing player-wise, Declan Rice, you know, we went to Liverpool and got beat 4-0 the opening day and people had the audacity to say Declan Rice was at his depth. Now, them same people are tweeting that he's the hammer of the year and he's the best thing since sliced bread. People find an easy target. People have never questioned Anderson as much. Um, because he come with a big price tag and his ability through silly things like YouTube clips is what excited people. Declan Rice at West Ham, he, he come through the youth um, over the last year or so, two years, and people found him a target then. People found Mark Noble a target forever because he's easy. He's always been there. That, that's my thinking. They're, they're not wrong when they say he ain't world class because he's not but there's a reason why every manager who's been at West Ham has had him in their team and why the recent managers have kept him as club captain and it ain't just the managers it's also what the players in the squad say about him on and off the field Bez do you not think that um yeah, I, I, I've been, you know, I've seen a lot of criticism, and I'm, I'm exactly uh, with you in that. You know, for me, Martin, I was a hero. Uh, absolutely love the guy. Um, and do you think that you know a player like Mark Noble? I mean, we don't see many one club players anymore. Um, and do you think that I mean he sums up everything that West Ham is all about? And for the likes of Declan Rice coming through, for the likes of Grady Dean Garner and all the other young players, do you think that's half the reason why some of these managers have kept him in there? Because he, he, Mark Noble sums up West Ham United Football Club um, as a whole. And uh, do you think that that's partly the reason why he, he's still there and still playing a hugely important role at the club? Yeah, I, I do. But there's also got to be stuff to do with his ability. You know, If you ain't good enough, you don't get in. And I think results show with him in the team we at times we, we are a better side I think you can misuse him if you want to play him in a 4-4-2 you, you're going to get overrun because it ain't no secret that he's not the fastest of players do I think his legs have gone no um, he's never had pace he's got older you know he's 30 now and he's not going to be the same as he was at 24-25 but I think he's just used as a scapegoat and as I say these managers don't pick players because you're Mark Noble 
people they, they dropped James Collins uh, last season because at times because if if it wasn't for the fact of his ability as such, then he would have kept playing because of, he knew the West Ham way. He knew what it meant. And I think there's reasons why fans are how they are, which I sort of understand. But the biggest reason for me is these managers are paid to pick a football side. These managers are experienced. These managers know the game better than you, better than I. And and they always seem to pick him and they leave him with a captain's armband. You know, I don't think Mark Noble's a 38-game-a-season man, personally. But at the start of this season, he, he still kept the armband. It wasn't taken from him. People have stepped in. Cresswell stepped in. Zabaleta stepped in. Arnie's stepped in. But he's still the club captain. Now, he could be club captain away from the team. He could just be the players' captain as such, not the first-team captain. But they've left him with that for a reason, because these managers know he will appear more than he won't. Bez, Jack just made a good point off air just now, saying <clears> how <throat> that you know a few managers now have come in at West Ham. We've had a few new managers, and they've come in and bombed him out of the team um, as soon as they've come in, and eventually he ends up back there. I personally agree with you. I, I don't think his legs are gone. You're right. He hasn't always had pace or hasn't ever had pace and he he certainly plays the game with his head and it's his technical ability but don't you think that you know as as that time goes and if we do bring a bring an outstanding central midfielder in as to be fair we have tried to bring a few in with Sanchez and Wilshere has come through the door but none of them have been able to turf him out Obiang over the years previous to that but surely even if just say in the summer an outstanding central midfield player comes in this, for at least a couple of seasons to come, I think he he would be more than valuable in that John Terry club captain sort of role going forward. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that. And and I've also said, like, you see the comments about Declan Rice being the future captain. This is why I question that, because Mark Noble ain't going nowhere. And Declan Rice will be. I think Mark Noble will still be at the club. And part of the playing side and the first team after Declan Rice has left West Ham. And that's why I don't see Declan as a future club captain. He has every attribute to be it, but he ain't going to be at West Ham in five, six years' time, if we're honest with ourselves. Mark Noble is massive to West Ham. Mark Noble is massive to the players. Mark Noble knows what it means to us fans. Now, you see a lot of tweets with the video from the last game at the bowling when he made the interview, uh, said an interview about, we're not one like a circus no more. You see Paul saying that he's just a puppet for the board. Listen, I get that, but we, we also have to remember this man's paid by the football club. The man loves the football club. He ain't going to come out and say the chairman's of this, the chairman's that, the chief executive this, blah, blah, blah. You know, he's still professional. He still has his job to do and he still gets paid by him. And people say, like after the AFC Wimbledon game, Mark comes out, makes the clown report about the thing. It's always, well, of course it is. He's a club captain. Is he meant to ignore it? Because if he did, people would soon question him for that as well. Mm. Top stuff. Cheers, Baz. Appreciate the call, mate. You're welcome. Thank you. There we are. Baz Cox there. Are you listening to the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio? We've all got one, and we're not afraid to put it on display. Our opinions, that is. Share yours now at Love Sport Radio on Twitter or call us 0208 70 20 558. Love Sport Radio, your fan station.
So Mark Noble, he is the debate, the topic, the discussion point um, for us right now. Before we talk about the players that never played for England, um, we mentioned some of the ones that have. Um, as you chaps have been saying, it is interesting with Mark Noble. and It's kind of, we talk about there's very few one club men these days. Everyone knows that. But I think what makes it kind of slightly different with Mark Noble is that it, this isn't a Paul Scholes in the sense of, they're playing at the top end of the Premier League every single season. You know, it's not a John Terry because they've always been there. This is this is a Mark Noble who's seen West Ham change so, so many times, even through change of divisions, through so many managers, through so many players coming in. But he has continued to be a mainstay. And I think that does kind of, it, it shows that football isn't all about ability that as you mentioned will that there's been certain managers that have come in and then he's not particularly been initially in the side but he always finds himself eventually back in there and that's not because perhaps he's doing all step overs and pinging them in top corner every day in training it's because the manager then realizes this guy is important and to, to, to not only on the pitch but away from it I do think as well with that with, with Noble and I do I'm, I'm the same as same as James and you know I think the world of him I think he's brilliant for the club but I do also think that there's there hasn't been too many occasions where he's looked out of place playing for West Ham in as much as oh he's too good for the club mm. I mean I, I know and it is great that he's been there all that time but there's rarely occasions where you go oh we're so lucky to have him yeah you know it's just pure <laughs> it's, do you know what I mean point. purely on ability point. even when we dropped in the championship he was probably you know he was a good player then but we come up and he, he's he's kind of been at West Ham's level his whole career hasn't yeah. he has, has there been a time when you've gone into a summer thinking oh, we're going to lose Mark Noble this summer there hasn't, but I think ability-wise, you're right. But I think that what he gives the club in terms of character and standing and, and the instant respect that he holds for anyone that comes in, whether it be a kid that's come through the academy and will know about him and will be told about him day in, day out, you know, this is what we all want to be, to the players like Philippe Anderson that come in for a huge fee and fans will think the world of them immediately, but he holds that respect for Mark Noble immediately and that's what managers notice, the point about him slowly making his way back into a side is because of the respect he holds in the dressing room. There have been games this season, I can't remember what game it was, but there was a sort of dressing room inquest after it. And he's done it two or three times this season where he will go in and make no bones about that these players, regardless of their fee and regardless of their wage, need to do more for this club. And there are a few, there are a few players, too few players around the Premier League that will do that now. You look at, as I mentioned off air, Southampton, the character they've lost over the last few years and the likes of well Fonte who came through West Ham West Ham fans won't think much of him but they lost a big character at Southampton when he left that don't face up to things you know don't as Baz mentioned on the phone when you get knocked out of the FA Cup by Wimbledon there is a reason Mark Noble is the one fronting up and, and speaking about it to to the club or whether it, whether it be to us in the in the media because that's his job when no one else wants to do it you need to have a couple of people in the changing room that will front up, take it seriously and, and apologise to the fans, basically, so they know that someone in there cares. And it's his job to impart that to new signings and impart, you know, the, the West Ham way in very big air quotes. <laughs> um, but you, you need a character like that. You know, you're right in terms of his ability has maybe sort of just been one flat line throughout his career. He's a very talented footballer, very good at reading the game and managing a game not someone really that is going to change a game. There was a game recently he did. He came on off the bench and did really well, but you don't see that from him. You know, he's not one you'd look to on the bench and go, he's going to come on and win us this game. Mm. He's someone that once you're 2-0 up, 
you want there to tell people what to do. And you look at Declan Rice now, and we'll probably talk about him later, but you look at Declan Rice, everything he's had going on this season, dropped after the first day, out of the squad, back in the squad, new position. I know he can play as a midfielder, but the way Pellegrini wants him to play that role, completely new position. Contract talks, international future. Something that he would have turned to Mark Noble for advice about. Mm. And he has kept him on the straight and narrow through that. Close, He gets close to people in the changing room and he will often be the first person that, that they will go to to speak about things. And you, I know that managers will come in. David Moyes, he was one of the first people that David Moyes spoke to after Bilic went and said, what's gone wrong? What What do you need to be doing? And they told him that the intensity needs to be stepped up and things like that. So, yes, ability-wise, he's never going to be the, the best player to have ever played for West Ham. He's never going to be the best player to have played for any Premier League club wherever he went. But character-wise, he's kept one constant going through that club for a long time. I think I think you make a good point about what you said, you know, right at the beginning of that. That you know, he he he's the guy that you know is is, is going to put an arm around the new signings and really teach. The likes of Felipe Anderson and, and all those new signings, sort of about the you know the ethos of the club, you know what's expected of them, you know what the fans expect of them, and I think we saw we saw a really really good example of that on social media from um, a, a video of uh, the lads in they're over in Spain on the on the on their t- on their little sort of, <laughs> we spoke about it last yeah, week yeah. didn't we? And warm um, weather training, warm That's weather training, is, and they're over in Spain working and, hard, and uh, they're in a bar, you know. Well within their rights to do it. I mean, if, if they were in, if they if they were seen in the bar this time last year, they'd have had you know pelters yeah. from the fans. Mm. But you've got Felipe Anderson and Fabian Balbuena standing up on stools in a bar singing "Our Fairyland Bubbles," <laughs> and I can guarantee you, Martin O would have would have gone, guys, get out there and sing it because he would have taught them. He would have taught them the lyrics to that song, and he'd go and get out there. And for players like that, they were playing before, um, and you know. Both of them looked a little bit dodgy in their early games, so I mean they needed to really bed into to life in England to then buy into something like that. West Ham not just means a lot to the fans, but it means a lot to the players that have already been at the club and yeah. players like Mark Noble that you know they've gone look. This is what West Ham all about. You need to get into this, and for me, it's really good to see something like that. And you know, as Jack said, Mark Noble's there to to ensure that happens, and players like that actually sort of feel at home at the football club. Mm. Um, and that's why, for me, I just think he's he's an absolute legend. I, I, sorry, Joe. Yeah, I, that, that's why I think it's sort of it's kind of foolish and short-sighted when you. I know we were sort of laughing about it, the Twitter comments and that sort of thing. But really, from a from a fan's perspective, there is so much more that goes on at a football club and in and around a squad than just who comes out and puts in a decent technical performance mm. for ninety minutes on a Saturday. So I, I just think when. You, you know, you say things like that. There's so much more to it, and Mark Noble epitomises that and that side of football, doesn't he? And I just think it's silly to. The club would be way worse off if he walked out the door. Yeah, he's 31 though, and I have to say, if I'm completely honest, I thought he was a little bit older. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it was a tough paper round, but he's 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 kind of for me, he does look a player in his 30s. Is it watching him week in week out? Is you starting to think that because the position he plays in as well? He's a box-to-box. He's an engine. You know, you can't be doing that aged 36, 37 to the same levels. It is kind of Mark Noble on the decline now in the sense of... He's, is that fair to say? I think it's fair to say. Uh, Bass said, you know, he's not the quickest player mm. in the world and he was never expected to be the biggest. No. Player. So when, when, when a lot of fans pull him out on his pace, it's like, well, he was never expected yeah. to be a pacey midfielder. He's not a winger. You know, he's not a striker trying to run in behind. Mm. 
you know, it, as you said, he's a box-to-box midfielder, and, and he does that job pretty well, you know, most of the time. You know, he'll have his bad games like other players, but, you know, even in his 30s, he can still play that role. You know, he's, he's done it many a time this season. Jack said earlier about, you know, against Liverpool, he was absolutely fantastic. You wouldn't believe that he yeah. was 31 in that game. So, yeah, OK, he's... he's a lot, of, a lot of fans say his legs are going. He's not. You know, he's probably not as sharp as he used to be, but he still plays an important role. Okay. Well, let's just finish off then uh, this Mark Noble chat with a quick yes or no. Um, Mark Noble, West Ham legend. Yes or no, Jack? First. Yes. Yes. Obviously, yes. Well, there we are. It's sorted. Yeah. West Ham fans, what are you talking about? Mark Noble, West Ham legend. Uh, you're listening to the West Ham Fan Show. Love sports. Welcome back, West Ham Fan Show, Love Sport Radio. Uh, there's some games this evening, European and also Championship. I'm just going to run through the Manchester City team. They're away at a Schalke, um, the German side. Uh, they've made two changes from the last league game uh, when they beat Chelsea 6-0. Incoming Nicholas Otamendi, uh, David Silva for Zinchenko and John Stones, who is injured. Uh, that means, by the way, that Fernandinho will play in defence once again. So just to run through that team in full, it is Edison in goal, Walker, Otamendi, Fernandinho, Laporte and then David Silva, Gundogan, De Bruyne, Sterling, Aguero and Bernardo Silva. Um, Ruby Matondo, uh, by the way, uh, former Man City youngster, is on the bench this evening for Schalke. Uh, in the Championship, Millwall are in action. They are away at Derby County. That one's a 7.45 kick-off. The Champions League, by the way, 8pm kick-off. The Millwall team is Jordan Archer, Sean Hutchinson, Jake Cooper, Sean Williams, Jed Wallace, Lee Gregory, Shane Ferguson, Malon Romeo, Murray Wallace, Ryan Leonard and Ben Marshall. We're going to have that game on here in the studio. So I'll let you know when those goals go in so chaps your stadium and uh, we spoke about it a lot um there's some changes happening isn't there well, it's not hopefully our, it's not our stadium but well you know what i mean is. come on uh, it's, no, it's, no, it's no one else's is it you know we're talking about premier league clubs yeah, it's yours yeah, yeah i get it no I, I, I like the stadium um as everyone knows but um yeah the, the the latest is that they're they're looking to square off behind the goal to make it seem more like a, a traditional football stadium the wording of that made me laugh. It was like, well, I mean, how can you, you shoot yourself in the foot with those word, that, mm. that wording. But, you know, it's a good move if they can get it done. How long it will take to, to really get you know get done, I don't I mean, I'm expecting two or three years, just knowing the, how long it takes for these things to happen. But, I mean, Jack, again, Jack's given me anything. <laughs> I mean, it's taken a year and a half to sort out some carpet, so... <laughs> Like four or five years, yeah. four or five years maybe. But I don't know. I, I think it's a good move. It's a move that um, when I was part of the bloggers' meetings with Karen Brady a couple of years ago, you know, we, you know, it was that sort of thing that we were talking about. And she said this was going to try and push it through. And it's good that they're beginning to have talks about it now. Um, but it still doesn't get around the fact that the distance still is going to be a quite a way away. Just squaring it off doesn't really make much of a difference. I don't yeah. Think. So uh, initially when this, when this happened, when, when you moved into the stadium, there was so much talk and debate wasn't there about, look, it's got a running track. They're going to then put the temporary seats and it was kind of like, well, yeah, fine. You kind of really trying to make something what isn't a football stadium into something which can pass as, as a football stadium, but they weren't able to do all these things because of the licenses and the agreements that they had, because obviously it being the Olympic Stadium initially. So I, I presume these kind of rules still stand, Jack. So yeah, how, I mean, how are they getting around that? Is these going to be permanent seats when they're blocking it off, or how how's it working? No, it'll be. I mean, 
I don't profess to know the sort of the nuts and bolts of it, but they will, will still, as long as it's owned by LDC and all the various sort of bodies that, that own and manage the stadium, it's still going to be temporary seating because they are still going to want to use it as as an athletics venue in the summer. Personally, as the stadium as a whole, I don't like it for reasons of my job that in various bits the Wi-Fi doesn't work for my email and things like that. But First world problems. Yeah, exactly. But, you know... As a football stadium, I don't think it's that bad, mm. really. You know, when the atmosphere is is good there, when the football's good, big games, there's it, it's still a good atmosphere there, and it's a sign that it's something something had to happen. If they, I know they talk about it a lot, and as was mentioned on the phone earlier that clip of Mark Noble saying it's not circus, da da da. It's a it's a big club statement to have sixty thousand fans there every week. If yeah, they can massive. get sixty thousand fans there every week, it's a statement of the direction the club's going and the attraction that the club has, and the sort of standing that they hold and can hold going forward. There there are though niggling issues on you know the distance is something that is is always going to be brought up. The the reoccurring chant from you know visiting fans is you're not West Ham anymore, things like that that mm. that will always be there and and you have to put up with that, but. As long as the the club now seem to be repairing their relationship with with E Twenty uh, LLDC, which is uh, is a positive step, if they can have some sort of coherent dialogue um, going forward to to smooth over these things, such as getting the carpet in and, and moving the stands around and and sort of putting forward a plan that that makes the stadium profitable. When they announced that they'd come to an agreement on the surround, Karen Brady said that you know she wanted to pitch to make the stadium profitable, something that is used 365 days a year as, as a landmark in London. If they can advise to do that and, and improve their relationship, there's no reason it can't be a real attraction in London and through that, you know, a, a real home for West Ham. But, you know, there remains a lot a lot to go to make it that. Mm. Um, there's been lots of negativity, though, about what's been been said and announced. Um, we went through those tweets from Mark Noble. I'm sensing a trend. Is it just you lot are negative? I don't think he's got reason to be. No, it's not you. No, 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 absolutely not. I found the three most positive, happy West Ham fans. That's why you're here. I'm not sure. As far as the seating thing goes, my initial reaction to it was, how's that going to work? Because obviously there was the press release, which was worded as you'd expect an official club press release to be worded. All very fluffy, not too much detail at this stage. There was some, some nicely put together design photos that made it all look really nice and I saw one comment that said um, it's quite funny how they've uh, shown the official design pictures with a load of flags in it which they turn away at the turnstiles but <laughs> I'm I'm not sure how just for a little bit technical but I'm not sure how if you if you square that off at the front that means you have to bring the whole block forward which and there's already quite certainly at the Bobby Moore end there's always already quite an extensive gap between the front of the upper tier and the back of the lower tier. So if they're just suggesting squaring it off, which would then mean bringing it forward, you can't go up anymore to make the incline steeper. So all you're going to be doing really is bringing a similar amount of seats forward an extra however many metres. Yeah. I think they said four, did it, on the in the press release? Yeah, something like that, four or five metres. So um, it just seemed to me a little bit like all you're going to do is perhaps extend the distance between it's a bit bigger bridge yeah the front exactly yeah Yeah, the front of the upper tier and the back of the lower tier and then would you then just have like a block of I don't know how many people sit in the Bobby Moore lower maybe 3,000 something like that would you just have a block of 3,000 people who are then a little bit removed from 
everyone else in the stadium. I'd be interested to see how they do it. I mean, I can see where you're coming from on that. It, it, logically, it doesn't. I just thought I'd throw a bit of scepticism in. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we ask. I mean, you, you can't really blame us for being sceptical, given N- none of you sound too enthralled by this news. I have to say, I, I mean, it's a good move. I mean, the the fans are obviously quite rightly annoyed about how this the stadium move went and how it's gone ever since. Of course, um, and any fan has every right to to complain about what's happened over the last few years. Um, and this is an attempt by the club, quite clearly an attempt by the club, just to try and sweeten it off a little bit and go, look, okay, we we, we recognise that there are issues with what we've done here and we want to try and make it right for the fans and try and make the fans feel a little bit more like home. Whether they can uh, adequately do that, I don't know. But I don't think it's really something that needed to be done, if I'm honest. Well, I mean, you say that, but in terms of the fans that go in there week in, week out and that are sitting in those seats... You know, you can kind of, you can kind of so get. It's right in your nice ones, mate. I don't know, mate. You've got, you got, you got no Wi-Fi, but you've got a perfect view. I don't know. I sit. We have this discussion all the time. It, it, the club will sort of often say, if if they had a chance to, I mean, we're not the most, by far, not the most important people there. But if you had the chance to place the press box, they wouldn't put it where it is because it's miles away. It is miles away. <laughs> but that squaring off, I really don't. Especially if it's just four meters, it's not going to make a huge difference. I think we've seen this season. If what's going on on the pitch improves, everything away from the pitch starts to drop away and lose significance. Mm. So if you can have two or three years of sustained relative success on the pitch, it's not going to be an issue anymore. It's not. And then long term, the club, obviously they've spoken about it, Cam Brady's spoken about it. Long term, they would love to buy that stadium. Mm. And then they have the right to look about doing something a bit more substantial and changing it on a more permanent basis. But... If you get success, sustained success, because this one season of rather inconsistent, nice football isn't going to be enough. But if you can just this build on this season, create something, then the problems with the stadium will go away so quickly. I, th- I, th- I think the main issue is that there are only really four points of the stadium where there's a, where, where there's a good view where you're relatively close to the stadium, and that's the four corners. Mm. My season ticket is on one of the corners, and I'm, I'm closer to the pitch than I was at Upton Park, where I was also in the corner. Um, so I've never had any complaints on that, but I can see when you when I look around and I'm like I'm on the goal line and I can look behind the goal where the away fans sit and you can see the big gap. Matt times I've seen the away team celebrate on that big gap and take some ages to get back on the pitch. <laughs> and uh, and you just think I can see why they're looking to square that off a little bit. Just to, if anything, just to, like the perception from behind those two goals would be less about the distance, if you know what I mean. It'd be less about like, oh, we're miles away from the pitch here. It'd be more like, this isn't actually a bad stadium. And so I think it's more going to be aesthetically rather than actual mm. sort of distance. I do think it is a little bit improving on the current bodge job with another one, mm. which will be. And that, that, that's, Great no, that, word. But that, that, that's my kind of feeling that, you know, you kind of. There's not too much you can do because it's still not yours. It's just going to be a, another temporary version on top of another temporary one. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think you can use that to just not improve anything because you. you I, I see what you're saying and I do agree with Jack where the football is and always will be the most important thing to people. And if you move people forward four seats or if you had the perfect stadium and the football was rubbish, people would still be upset and they do care more about what happens on the pitch. However, I do think just because of that, that that is true and that always will be true at any football club the club will sit there and go well we're still going to make improvements especially as like James said they've been suggested by the fans and they're trying to improve that relationship so yeah. 
I do get the idea, and just because a perfect solution isn't available right now, that's not to say that they. That's no reason to just do nothing, basically. Mm. Yeah, but no, you're right. Fans will be happier if the football on the pitch is good. Um, and I don't know what. I don't know what would help football on the pitch be better. Uh, Manuel Lanzini. Um, he's coming back from his injury. Picked up a horrible one, didn't he, just before the World Cup? But delighted to say he's very, very close to a, to a return for West Ham. And we'll talk about him next. Love Sport Radio, the station giving fans a voice. Okay, some good news to talk about. Manuel Lanzini um, picked up that horrible injury, didn't he? So, so unfortunate. He was in the Argentina squad just ahead of the World Cup and he's been out since then. But news from Pellegrini today that he is set to return. Just how good news is that for you as football fans to see him back on the pitch? Because that's that earlier than expected. Yeah. A lot earlier. Yeah, it is, isn't um, it? I, I mean, the last word I heard, and it was a couple of months ago, and it was he might not even play this season. Mm. Mm. So for him to to be in line to make an appearance on Friday is a bit of a surprise. I know it, it, that that's been the line for the last couple of weeks, and that you know he he could make it, but the worry is that you know they rush him back, and that's my initial feeling is that they are going to rush him back. For no good um, reason. For no good well. reason, because, I mean, we're not going down. We don't... OK, it'd be nice to see him back on the pitch, but I'd rather see him back on the pitch when he's fully fit and at his very best again than him being rushed back and, and then we, we lose him again for four or five months. You know, I'd rather him be back at, at his peak. But it's good. I, I can't wait to see his face. I really can't <laughs> wait to see his face. That's cute. Um, <laughs> I love the man. Uh, I mean... If he does play, it'll be his hundredth appearance at West Ham. Oh, really, Stats. already? Yeah, Stats. love it. Um, and you know, it speaks to any West Ham fan, and they can't wait to see him back. Right now, I know I get a little bit of stick sometimes for being a little bit grumpy and a bit cynical. But are you nervous about Cresswell syndrome, as I'll call it, and that he might have just lost something with that injury when yeah. he comes back and just not be that player? that he was before because that is almost exactly what happened to Cresswell wasn't it he was world beater and then I think the difference difference here is I can see where you're coming from and that is a worry with any player that's been out for a long time um, but the difference is Cresswell's injury was as a result of a real real horrible tackle in pre-season mm. whereas Lanzini's was I think as far as, I, as far as I'm aware I don't know if Jack you've heard any different but he, he turned awkwardly on his yeah, knee training yeah it was a non-contact injury yeah um, which 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 makes me a little bit less worried about how he's going to come back. Uh, the Cresswell one, I mean, I, I've seen the tackle. I don't know whether you've seen it, but the guy, I mean, it's pre-season. It's about 10 minutes into the game and the guy almost kills him. Yeah. Uh, almost breaks his legs. And, you know, it's like, what are you doing? And yeah. ever since then, he's not been not been the same. He's only just really getting back to his best. Whereas Lanzini's just a little bit different. And, you know, those sort of injuries do happen on a little dodgy turn. A bit of dry grass and, you know, the studs get caught and, and that's it. So I'm hoping that that's not the case, but I can see that I can see the concern definitely. There's there's the point though that I mean, Creswell as a fullback, his game is bombing forward and and getting the crossing, and you always you know the cliche with with an injury is you lo- you lose a yard of pace. But Lanzini is a player that Pellegrini will love in that he's a technical player. It's something he relentlessly bangs on about. They're so important the way he plays. You look how good David Silva was from Manchester City. You look at the way he uses Snodgrass, 
Felipe Anderson. He keeps bringing Snodgrass back in, regardless of how he, how he's. I really like him as a player. I think he's fantastic. But there have been games when you just thought he's been on the periphery a bit, and Pellegrini will wax lyrical about him because he he sees him as the sort of technical midfielder that can change games. Lanzini, as much as he is a quick player and he can go past people, doesn't rely just on a burst of pace for his mm. game. Such a technical and talented footballer, and it's such a fantastic. You know, nuanced touch and and the way he plays in and his vision. So you would think, and and the murmurs for the last few weeks from Pellegrini, having seen him in training, is that you know there were a few few bits before they went away. There were a couple of people concerned that Pellegrini coming out and saying Fulham was a bit premature. Now everyone seems a bit more confident, and they they've seen him train. Yeah, so I mean, you've got to hope that, that they know what they're talking about. <laughs> I, I I think Pellegrini came out, didn't he? When he when he said that he was likely to be back, he touched on how although Arnautovic played well, but when or last season, sorry, when Lanzini was still in the team and playing, he also touched on how if you look, the majority of the goals Arnautovic scored last season, the vast majority of them involved Lanzini at some stage as well. So. You would hope that as well as what he does for himself and the team, because he obviously registers a few goals himself, that if he can bring out the best in, bring Arnautovic back to his yeah. best as well, that, that he, he brings a lot more than just you know his little... He, he was beginning to score, uh, get on the score sheet regularly towards the end of last season. He scored two on the final day against Everton, mm. and that was the last time we've seen him. And arguably it's probably the best we've... Well, uh, you know, probably one of the best games we've seen him play in the West Ham show. He was fantastic that day. Um, so it's it's quite sad that we've had to we've had to wait so long to see him. But you know, if you can get back to that form mm. and and play with like Arnautovic the way that he was, then you know we're in for a good ride. But interestingly, I'm reading Pellegrini's quotes here when he's talking about Lanzini coming back. He's saying that you know, all four playmakers in our squad are injured. So I was just thinking, which four? Completely forgot about Yarmolenko, by the way, because yeah. obviously he so devastatingly picked up that injury as well, just as he was hitting form. So you, look, you've got. Um, Lanzini in there you've obviously got Nasri you've got Yarmolenko we've got Felipe Anderson there's now actually four um, potentially kind of number 10s or creative attacking midfielders there when and if they're all fit kind of wh- where do they fit in who, who who are your preferred options this this has been it's a good it's a good position to be in this is the dilemma I've been going on my head ever since the summer when they're all fit what it's, happens, it's, what so happens? I, uh, Lanzini you would think would come in for Snodgrass Hmm. True, you would think. yeah, yeah. But you guys have been raving about Snodgrass this season. Oh, he's been brilliant, exactly. He's no, he's, so is it is it fair for him to lose his place? He's no Lanzini though, is he? Let's be honest. No, he's, he's not. not. No, on, um, on their day, and he, he will know that as well. Snodgrass, the top player, will know that you know Lanzini's a better player, um, can play that role a little bit better than him. The the shape that Pellegrini has been playing, not all the time, most often though, is that sort of four four one one. So you, there is room for a player in behind the striker, which has often been on Altovic, just off Hernandez or someone like that. So you can switch those around and have Lanzini just in behind on Altovic and then keep Anderson and Snodgrass on either side. And then you've got a fantastic team. It's more where, you know, did Nasri come in for the three games he's played in? Is that it? Is he now just going to be a figure in the dressing room and someone that... Pellegrini knows he can rely on if he needs him again or, or a bit of experience. So, look, it is it is a problem in that who do you pick, where do you pick them, how do you keep them all happy? But it's far better to have that than to go back a few weeks and have no one and have to really yeah. cobble something together. So, uh, a fully fit Manuel Lanzini, does he come in 
ahead of someone like Samir Nasri? Yes. Yeah, mm, yeah absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Because Lanz- uh, no, Nasri was an interesting one that people were completely unsure as into what you were going to get. Um, he's come in. He's, got, he's not going to be for free. He's going to be on proper wages. Um, and he's impressed in, in the time that, that he's been there. So, so again, you find yourself in a situation, you, Jack, you talk about the formation that, that Pellegrini tends to play. There's not room for them. So do you think, as, as just kind of Jack, you, you alluded to there, that, that Nasri, this could potentially be a really kind of short-term stay for them. Is Lanzini coming back this early kind of the beginning of the end for Samir Nasri so soon into his career? I think there was a piece in the Standard tonight about Nasri, just a, just a little piece in the corner just saying how it's still they've they've put the they've put his return back again. So I literally only read it fleetingly, but it, there seems to be a little bit of mystery around what really happened with him after those first like, good performances. We were getting all excited in here, weren't we? Mm. And uh, yeah, I think just reading a piece on the way, and that's been put back again. So that is a it's a bit of a strange situation on the whole. But I can't see. I don't think he was ever a long term like option or choice anyway. No, what well, I mean they've got. He will be on good wages when he plays. I think he's on a highly incentivised contract. They've got an option to keep him, which I think, given he's shown he's still got it in terms of fitness and, and, and his touch on the ball, if he gets enough game time, there's no reason they shouldn't keep him. If they can afford to keep him, there's no reason they shouldn't. It will be a really good influence on this squad. He's already worked out better than Patrice Evra last <laughs> season. Um, it is just whether he's happy with that role of being a bit more, a bit more of a bit-part player mm. that can come in and if you get to where Pellegrini wants you to get competing in more cup competitions, maybe getting onto a European pedestal at some point, he'll be a really important squad player. OK, uh, very, very interesting debate indeed. And you've got all those four playmakers back, West Ham fans. Who gets in your side? At Love Sport Radio is the Twitter handle 0208 558 is the number you can ring. This programme was previously broadcast live on Love Sport Radio. So some items may be out of date. For more podcasts or to listen live, visit lovesportradio.com. Welcome back. West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. We've got James Jones from West Ham World. We've got Will Pugh from Balls on the Line. And we've got Jack Rosser from the Evening Standard. Just kicked off, by the way, in the Champions League. Uh, Schalke have got that one underway between them and Manchester City. Um, also, Atletico Madrid, Juventus as well this evening. Both goalless, but they've only just kicked off. Hopefully, a bit more interesting and exciting than last night's Champions League games. Both of those uh, producing goalless uh, draws. But yeah, Manchester City in action, which kind of seamlessly links me to our next discussion. Um, apparently, they are rumoured to be interested in one of your footballers. Any guesses who it is? Noble? Uh, it's not Mark Noble. Masuaku. Uh, um, <laughs> no, he's not. He's not. I, I did a shortlist. He's not on the shortlist. It's not him. Give Pe- up then. You've got one more guess. No idea. 
come on, guys. West, you call yourself West Ham fans. Andy Carroll? <laughs> it's, it's, they're, they're, they're always deadline day moves, aren't they, for Andy Carroll? Yeah. A panic one. Man City, Spurs, Chelsea. That, that's when, the only time anyone ever comes in for Andy Carroll. It's not. It's, of course, Declan Rice. And you knew that. We're just winding each other up. So Declan Rice has been rumoured to be what, linked with the move to, to Manchester yeah. City. Is this just nonsense paper talk? Go on, let's go to the paper journalist, shall we, here. Jack Rosser. They How, ha- is this is this real? Is this they, genuine? They have looked at him. I know they've looked at him. Um, I, it's nothing too serious, I don't think, at this point. Um, of course, they've got Fernandinho, who is in the twilight of his career, but is still yep, absolutely exceptional and a better player than Declan Rice. But I think if you're them... I think I think every club in the top six will have considered a move for him. It just wouldn't have become public yet. Um, but there are a few others that you, that you would look at in the Premier League with the relevant experience and at a good age that you would think would be a better replacement for Fernandinho, really. If he continues on the, the path that he's on, the way Pellegrini's got him playing, mm. the big thing he always talks about in terms of improvement is the, the sort of the view he has of the game, the, the way he sort of views the game once he's got the ball yeah. he's outstanding at reading those pockets of space that need a bit of cover when when teams are going to break and start a move he's brilliant at that but when he's on the ball he's good there's no doubt about that Pellegrini wants to take it up another step to make him a proper ball playing mm. midfielder and if he continues that if he can do that there's no reason why he shouldn't move to Manchester yeah, City now, there was the game against Crystal Palace actually and you, you played it out from the back I think it was the Robert Snodgrass chance in the first half where he doesn't play it particularly well but it's all started from a Declan Rice ball and he played it first time and I remember I was watching it just in kind of normal time I thought oh, that was a good ball and I watched it back in that and it was Declan Rice I thought that was class that was quality you know better than other English players in the same position you w- would be doing um, and I do find it interesting that you know Man City this is the rumour interested in Declan Rice there have been similar talks with Wambasaka at Crystal Palace a few weeks ago there was then the same with Ben Chilwell at Leicester City it does appear clear that Manchester City are targeting young English talent, and in particular, kind of full-backs and defensive midfielders. Well, I mean, uh, top six clubs are going to continue to go after these players because they need them, really. You know, we're not sure. There's, there's obviously scrutiny on the on the quota of, of international players that you can have. Yeah. Um, but then you go from there. It's a huge problem at Tottenham at the moment in terms of the signings they're looking at and and who they can bring in because they are quite restricted you you look at um they had to leave Juan Foyth out of their Champions League squad uh, for the first half of the season came in started against Dortmund ha- them having got rid of um George Kevin and Kudu during January so it is a it is a real thing that clubs are starting to look at now having to bring in young English talent which perhaps is a problem for the clubs producing them but if you know every club outside the top two or three in every league is a selling club at, at the right price mm. And given that they are English and that they can fill that homegrown quota, it adds a hefty chunk onto the transfer fee. Yeah, they cost a lot more though, don't they, these English players? And that's, that's what's kind of so strange. And I was having the, the debate with the, the Crystal Palace fans earlier in the week talking about wan because actually the, the link that evening was with Bayern Munich. And I was kind of like, would you accept £15 million, £10 million less for Declan Rice from a Bayern Munich or a, a foreign side as opposed to a Premier League one? Because it's directly strengthening someone in your division, or is that not something you bother too much about? I mean, for me, you know, West Ham, Man City aren't a direct rival to us. I mean, they might be in the same same You're division. You're strengthening them, aren't you? You're strengthening them, but I mean, if if we were if we were 
challenging them for for the title, then I'd be like, definitely not. No, I, I, he needs to go abroad if we're going to sell him. Um, but we're not, and I don't think we ever will be, unless what happens to us is the same what happened to Man City, like in terms of getting bought out and you know bankrolling success. But so in, I, I get why people would say that. But I, for me, if he goes, the only big club in the top six club in the Premier League, I, I couldn't accept him going to his Tottenham. And I'm pretty sure every single West Ham fan would say the same thing. Mm. I think he'd be fantastic at Tottenham. He, he probably would be, but... <laughs> he'd be fantastic most places, wouldn't he? He's not going. <laughs> he's not going to Tottenham. James won't allow it. <laughs> I'll stop him from going. <laughs> no, just uh, any other team, though, I, I, I g- genuinely wouldn't bother me yeah. if he went there. Maybe Ch- Chelsea, maybe. The others, you know, if he wants to go there and better his career, then... We get the right price. Yeah, no, it'll be an interesting summer for Declan after the breakout season that he's had. You know, whether these rumours and reports, England calls up, Man City interest, whether any of it comes concrete and just how much money is then thrown on the table and West Ham and Rice are left with a decision to make. Uh, another player, uh, some transfer news uh, being reported, Edmilson Fernandez. Um, he's been out on loan at Fiorentina this season. Reports saying that they've decided that they've agreed to, to take up a permanent option on him for a £6.5 million. Is that is that something that pleases you or was a player you kind of hope because he's still quite young just 22 years old hope to come back into the mix I mean we, we touched on it just then didn't we how many midfielders we've already got at the club uh, obviously it depend, depends who's going to depart in the summer but I think it, it never really quite happened for it at the club and it looks like he might just be one of those players who is better suited to to a continental league and mm. I think we, he, he did have his chances didn't he in our, in our team and I think at the moment if he comes back in and, and we never see him in a West Ham shirt again I, I think there'd be there'd be harder losses to take from that squad I think Am I right in thinking that the season that he signed at the end of it there's, some, there's an award to, for the signing of the season and he won it and have I just made that up? There, I think you've made that up. Yeah, there is a signing of the season award, isn't there? Yeah, but, but I don't I think, think he's ever won it. won it. Well, I'm going to dig. I mean, I mean, to be fair... I'm, I haven't made that. I wouldn't make that up. To be fair... That's, I mean, that's in the back of my head somewhere. That happened. This is a player that I quite like the look of. Yeah. Every time I saw that's him, That's my I thought, point. Lots of people he's initially not a bad looked okay. He's not a bad player. He's got a good going at Chelsea in the cup. Um, and I thought, he's not a bad... He's a nice player to have in the team. He can come and do a job off the bench, you know. Might start the old game and, and do do okay, but... He didn't wow anyone, so I can see why Pellegrini wasn't overly fussed. And you know, when the likes of Yarmolenko come come in, in the summer and Anderson and, and all of that, you know, I can see why Pellegrini went. Let's get rid of him. And I'm I'm surprised we've only got six and a half mil for him because I would have thought, you know, in today's market we might have got a little bit more. But you know, you never really knew what his brand was, did you? Yeah, you never true. Really, he was sort of he was in the team. You weren't. He was sort of all right. At, very defensive safe. side of the game he was alright mm. going forward he, he wasn't overly rapid and he wasn't overly technical he was just sort yeah. of that's why he never really offended me he, sort of, <laughs> he, he came on and, and did a job and I thought well, he's not too bad you yeah. know? I mean I'd be happy with him if he stayed at the club for two or three years I wouldn't have been that bothered <laughs> but you wouldn't you know? really know either would yeah, you yeah like, like, oh Fernandes is coming on he'll do a job for the last ten minutes he did win signing of the season. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are. See, I, was that not the season that you I made? I love the fact you've just researched that as well. Was that not the season that you made 13 signings? It might have been. And yeah. they did that awful graphic and with West Ham it? United. Yeah, and it's because, I mean, to be fair, like that was... Sofian Fagouli, Gokhan Toure. Call yourself West was, Ham fans. That was the same summer we did have. You're right. It was Toure, Zaza... Uh, Sofian Fagouli... I could have won Caleri. Caleri, Masuaku... Um, amazingly, Masuaku is probably the last one 
standing out of that summer. So I'm going to um, I'm going to dine out on that bit of knowledge for the so, rest uh, of my life. You can see how he won it now if you reel off the names that signed with him. Not hmm. important, mate. It's a fact, and I knew that, and you did not. Got <laughs> <laughs> to take a break. Uh, when we're going to come back, we're going to look ahead to your next Premier League game. We're going to speak to the former Fulham striker Gordon Davies. Giving your team a voice. Love Sport Radio. Okay, we're going to be speaking to Gordon Davies in just a few moments' time. Former Fulham striker, that is, of course, your next Premier League game. We talk about Ed Milson Fernandez as well, not being you know particularly expansive and exciting. Did, did you know he was related to Gelson Fernandez? Do you remember him? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who was the most boring footballer of all time? So clearly, it's it runs in the family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, Fulham, how are you? How are you feeling about this before we speak to Gordon? Positive, but also incredibly wary, given that Fulham have only got two points away from home all season. Mm. Remember, the, remember a few weeks ago we played Bournemouth, and I said Bournemouth went one in six; they'll beat us, and what they happened? beat us. <laughs> so I'm expecting, I'm not expecting four, five, six nil, which a lot of West Ham fans will be expecting, given our improved home form recently. I think um, Fulham will make it difficult for us. Well, with City away coming up as well, the, the pattern this season has been perform outstandingly against the big teams and then let ourselves down and let yeah. everyone else down at home and kill any hype that might have might have built up in the meantime so yeah I, I, I reckon we might actually end up drawing on Friday they'd just be we all go into it thinking oh it's Fulham it's Fulham at home it'll be fine they haven't been playing very well Yeah, and, <laughs> and we sort of end up stumbling and then go and get a point at the Etihad I like this though because it's this the standard theme you speak to any supporter of a mid-table club you say oh well it's, it's of course, we'll go on and lose that one. It's like, yeah, that's why you're mid-table. It's the, the nature of you. Be, if you could do something consistent, then you wouldn't be mid-table, would you? You'd either be bottom because you're rubbish or be at the top because you're semi-decent. It's just the way, it's the life of a mid-table Premier League supporter. Um, just one second, we're going to speak to Gordon Davies now. We've got him on the phone, a former Fulham striker. Uh, Gordon, how much hope do you think Fulham have? Because the chaps here in, in the studio are a little bit wary of Fulham because of the fact that they tend to lose these games. Well, I suppose there's always hope until it's mathematically impossible. Uh, but I think probably what we've got to start doing now, um, and people have muted it for a, for a few weeks now, um, we've got to sometimes forget about the actual defending and trying to keep it nil-nil. And sometimes you've got to take the bull by the horns and we've got to start attacking teams and getting players forward and getting our attacking players that we've got in the squad into the team and seeing if we can get a result that way. And it's, it's, then it's all about confidence and one result could lead to another. Yeah, I mean, that has been actually a, a, a criticism, hasn't it, over the last few weeks of Ranieri and the Fulham results. I mean, sometimes you can accept when things don't go well, but it just seems that they're not going for it. You know, when you're losing games, you need a result. You know, the kitchen sink has not been thrown once, has it? <laughs> Certainly. At the moment, I don't know whether we've got a kitchen sink. I think we've got to find it somewhere, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. Because, yeah, it, it, it is a strange scenario down there at the moment. Um, even if we're 1-0 down or 2-0 and there's 20 minutes, 25 minutes to go, you never seem to think of the urgency. We still want to keep hold of the ball. We still want to pass it around. Um, and we've still only got Mitrovic in the box. 
And so sometimes when a cross does come in, he's being marked by four defenders. So it, it, it is a really weird situation. Um, if, if I was Mitrovic or if, if I was one of the forwards, I'd be screaming for the ball to be put in the box because he's good in the air, he's, he's powerful, he can hold players off. And you're looking for other players then to get in and around and to pick the second ball up. So it, it is really strange the way we are playing at the moment when you find the, the position that we're in. We are fighting for our lives, but we just seem still to be hesitant about getting players into the box and, and getting cross after cross after cross in there. So um, at the moment, there's hope. But if we keep playing like that in the next two to three games, there's going to be no hope. Gordon, you touched on it there that you're, you're fighting for your lives and there's been a lot of talk around the club recently about a, a disjointed feel. I think it was Tom Kearney who came out and suggested that there needs to be more of a, a team bond within the squad. Do you think, based on... there, you know, There's also suggestions of, of players who aren't really in it. Sherler came out and made the comments he did. Do you think it's time to get like, players, the, the Sessegnons and the Kearneys, get them back in and, and have people on the pitch who, who you know, are willing to fight for it and seem to be a lot more behind the cause? Well, I think they'd certainly get the support of the supporters because you, you want your attacking players. I know that Kearney probably doesn't fit into the tactical side of things with regards to the way Ranieri wants the team to play at present. But he's the one who can pick a pass out. Um, he's the one, yes, he can dictate play. But I think if you put him in sort of a, a more of attacking role, or even if you said to Babel, we want you wide and we want you to, to put crosses in every time you can, he, he can certainly sort of uh, do something for us. But I think Kearney, he's got to, Ranieri's now, I think, got to find a, a way of putting Kearney in the team to get the best out of him. He's got to find a way of getting Ryan Sessegnon in the team. Um, and at least if the supporters then think, well, at least we're, we're trying to go for it or we're going for it. And if we get beat, we get beat. But it could be in the next couple of weeks that if the results don't go, go right with the, the squad of players that we've got, then perhaps it's, it's a time where you start putting the youngsters in who you know are going to be eager, you know are going to run their heart out for the club. Um, and just see how some of the youngsters do. You might unearth another, uh, well, I can't say another session on because we've already got one, uh, but uh, another player who might just take um, uh, his position by storm. And then you think, well, if we're going to go down, at least we've got these three, four, five youngsters that are going to do well in the championship. But it's, uh, it's certainly a situation that I think he's got to get the attacking players into a system and then we've just got to go for it. Gordon, one, one player that's imp quite impressed recently is uh, Callum Chambers, who who was initially brought in as a as a centre half, but seems to be playing in a in a more holding midfield role. Um, yeah. I mean, what do you make of that transition? I mean, I mean, Fulham's defence has well, been has been has been the worst in the Premier League this season, uh, and then you find that one of the centre halves been brought in in the summer is now being played as a midfielder. I mean, do you think that's contributed to to what has been generally a leaky defence? Well, I think we started off to see, well, I've said this before, but I think probably Servisa uh, brought his downfall um, by trying to stick to his way of playing and the way that we were playing in, in his format, the players weren't good enough. And you then sort of, he, a lot of players came in before the transfer deadline and they were, some of them were put straight into the team. So 
I've always said from from oh, six, seven games into the season that probably Slavisa should have stuck with the 14, 15, 16 players that got us there and given them the first five or six games to prove themselves at this level. And he's only got to turn around to them and say, well, if you don't, if you don't do it after five or six games, just look on the other side of the, the changing room. We've got these new players here ready to come in. And I think it was so disjointed the teams that we put out at the beginning of the season. And fair play, there was a lot of injuries, so he had to change the back four. And um, with with regards to Chambers, I do think it's given him a new lease of life, this holding midfield role, because they tried him at centre-half and he looked a bit out of, uh, well, out, out of play positionally and defensively. Then they tried him at right-back and similar things. And, and when you think you've You've got somebody in from Arsenal. We were we were hoping for big things from him defensively, but it didn't seem to come to fruition at right back or centre half. And then uh, uh, he's been put in this defensive midfield role. And to be perfectly honest with him, he's looked he's looked one of our best players, and he's the one that can get into the box not only from free kicks and corners, but in normal play. And he's 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 could have scored three, four, five goals for us. So he he can be an attacking threat, but to be perfectly honest with you, I, I think it's given him a new lease of life in, in this position. And yeah, he's, he's been one of the, the better players for us. Which, uh, can't say that about uh, many of them. <laughs> no, I agree. I think Cam James has been one of the, the few positives actually for Fulham. It's a shame he's not even their player, eh? But just uh, Gordon, very <laughs> lastly, before we let you go, um, how do you see this game going then Friday night? Well, the, the, the way that we've gone, I think West Ham have only lost four games at home all season. Um a couple to the top four, and then I think um, and, and, and Watford. So when you look at their their home form, you can't really see us getting anything out of the game. But as as we started um, uh, the interview off, um, it's a game like this that we could well go there and uh, over, overturn the form book and come away uh, winning all, winning all three points. But it's they are, are turning into games now where. Uh, wins are needed so one point away to West Ham is is not really going to be enough so we've got to look for three points to start closing that eight gap that eight point gap between us and uh, getting out of the relegation zone and uh, it's going to be a big ask but you you never know. It, it could be a confidence booster on Friday night if we come away with all three points. Yeah, you never do quite know. I just say it's never over until that fat lady sings. Gordon, thank you for your time this evening. <laughs> OK, t- cheers, Jake. That was Gordon Davies there, the former Fulham striker. Going to take a break. When we head back, uh, the last kind of few minutes before we have to leave for you this evening on the West Ham Fan Show, we get the Chaps in the Studios views ahead of this game on Friday night. For the fans, by the fans, Love Sport Radio. So you're going to be under the lights Friday evening welcoming relegation-threatened Fulham um, to your place. As you mentioned briefly before we spoke to Gordon, it, it does feel maybe like one of those games. It's just, just a potential, potential banana skin, isn't it? Like It's not really any different to any other game. It's just because of where they are in the league. When you don't win the game, it's then kind of heightened significantly more. But I'll be completely honest, and I'll say this quietly because I know the Fulham fan shows up next and they're going to be outside. I, I think Fulham have kind of... I think they've gone. 
Um, and I think they know it. And then, as I mentioned to Gordon there, they've not at any point in the last couple of games thrown that kitchen sink. They kind of just feel like they're just going through the motions a little bit. I, I can't see them coming to West Ham and picking up anything. I, it is tough because you never know. Under the lights on TV brings another level out of certain players. And they seem to have quite a few of those characters in their squad. So they mm. could do something. You know what West Ham are like. If, if you get amongst them in the first 20 minutes, then problems start to come through. You're right, though. They have, I mean, they've looked really awful this season. They've looked yeah. really, really poor. What's important for West Ham is that they've now got 12 games between now and the end of the season. They've effectively got nothing to play for, really. They're, they're not going to get into Europe, given quite how inconsistent they've been this season. What's important is that having not won in the last five in all competitions, they did put in a good performance against Liverpool, but they need to start this run to the end of season with some sort of consistency and try and put something together that Pellegrini can point to over the summer and going into next season as more progress, get another system going, get Lanzini back in, keep that confidence going at home and ensure that you know it doesn't just fall away into a nothing couple of months as a club where you might get problems coming up here, there and everywhere and show that there's still something to play for. Yeah. No, it does become hard, doesn't it, at this point of the season, as Jack mentions, you know, it's it's harder to play those teams actually towards the bottom of the league who are fighting for something as opposed to the better teams when they've got less to play for, if that makes sense. Finding that motivation. We've seen it with Watford over the last few years. They've started brilliantly, then kind of by February they're safe and then mm. they kind of have a dreadful tail off. Yeah, it's exactly what we've done all season, really, though, isn't it? That we we had the four defeats at the beginning, then the four wins. But other than that, it's been very much just a, a hit and miss. And depending on the opponent we've played each week, we've we've put in decent performances, either when we've been on the telly or when whether we've been against a, a top six side. And then against the rest at, at games that you know we should we almost expect to we've win. We've improved a lot at home this season. I think we 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 look a lot more comfortable at home, and I think that gives me a little bit of confidence. Yeah, I think you should be confident. I do. Um, score predictions, please. Uh, Jack, kick us off, please. Uh, two on my stand. Well, either 4-0 or 1-0. No, he's... <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I can't really... Uh, no, 1-0. 1-0. And, and that's the one you plumped for after giving those yeah, two options. I'm afraid 3 0. So. 3 0 West Ham. Yeah, well, that's more like it. Cheers, James. Uh, lads, absolute pleasure as always. Thank you very, very much indeed. The West Ham Fan Show will be back next week at the same time here on Love Sport Radio. for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. Sports Social Podcast Network.